This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in your podcast app. The Kyoto Prize is an international award that honors individuals who have contributed significantly to the scientific, cultural, and spiritual betterment of humankind. It is given each year by the Inamori Foundation, which was founded in 1984 with the initial private funds of Dr. Kazuo Inamori, founder and chairman emeritus of Kyocera Corporation. The foundation awards three prizes annually in the following fields. Advanced technology. Basic sciences. And arts and philosophy. Each year, the Kyoto Prize Symposium is held in San Diego, California, with attendees arriving from all over the world. The annual three-day event kicks off with a celebratory gala evening attended by many of San Diego's academic, corporate, and philanthropic leaders. Following a ceremonial procession, the gala audience learns about the current year's laureate's extraordinary achievements and then hears briefly from each. Another highlight of the evening is hearing from select recipients of the Kyoto Prize Scholarships, which are funded by gala proceeds. These impressive high school students from San Diego and Tijuana have been inspired to pursue a college education in one of the three Kyoto Prize categories. I would like to use my creative writing skills to help special needs kids, particularly through special education. My youngest brother, Remy, is a severely autistic and hemophiliac, so he's been the one to give me the desire and the empathy to help special needs students um, advocate for themselves and realize their potential to the fullest extent. So I started a program on my robotics competition team at my school um, that brings programming outreach to, you know, underserved and low-income um, middle and elementary schools around San Diego County. As a freshman in high school, I co-founded 501c3 nonprofit All Girls STEM Society with the goal of creating a fun, encouraging, hands-on learning platform for girls to explore their interests in STEM. Since our founding in 2015, we've reached 2,800 participants from over 240 schools in 25 school districts across San Diego. The symposium continues on the campuses of Point Loma Nazarene University and the University of California, San Diego. Free public presentations, lectures, and workshops by the latest Kyoto Prize laureates and esteemed scholars in the laureates' fields attract the region's best and brightest, as well as hundreds of high school students from Tijuana and Southern California. During their stay in San Diego, the laureates also meet with the symposium's key sponsors, providing these supporters the unique opportunity to interact with remarkable luminaries who have changed the world we live in. This prestigious event shines an international spotlight on San Diego, exemplified by our cities hosting each year's Kyoto Prize laureates, an honor which is shared outside of Japan only with Oxford University in Europe. Creating a global audience in the thousands for virtual presentations by the laureates. The more than 10,000 high school and college students from San Diego and Tijuana who have attended Kyoto Prize Symposia and the awarding of close to $4 million in scholarships to high school students in the region. The Kyoto Prize Symposium elevates San Diego as a scientific, technology, and cultural leader 
and helps reinforce our region's rising prominence on the world stage. In the words of Dr. Inamori, human beings have no higher calling than to strive for the greater good of humanity and society. San Diego is honored to play a role in this noble mission. Kazuo Inamori believed that a human being has no higher calling than to strive for the greater good of humanity and the world. With that tenet, he established the Inamori Foundation in 1984 with an endowment of 20 billion yen of his own money. Since its inception in 1985, the Kyoto Prize, an international award named after Japan's original thousand year capital and cultural center, has been awarded to individuals and groups who have made extraordinary contributions in the fields of sciences, arts, technology, and philosophy. Dr. Inamori believed that with the proper balance of scientific advancement and a deep spiritual understanding, the future of humanity would be bright and long lasting. The Kyoto Prize is an extension of that belief and is now recognized as one of the most prestigious international prizes of its kind. The Inamori Foundation and the Kyoto Prize cement Kazuo Inamori's philanthropic legacy and will continue to do so throughout the future. Good morning and welcome. I don't know if you've been here before, but this is the Conrad Prebis Music Hall as part of our University of California campus and our division and School of Arts and Humanities. I'm Melanie Cruz. I'm the Associate Vice Chancellor here at UC San Diego. And I'd like to send best regards from our Chancellor and our Executive Vice Chancellor who are not able to be with us, but who have been here in spirit. I've worked closely with the Kyoto Prize Symposium for now, I think, close to 17 years. And it really is a wonderful opportunity to bring some of the most gifted minds, creative individuals, to share their personal journeys and seminal discoveries with this community in San Diego and beyond. That spirit of collaboration, interconnectedness, and benefit to humanity, as shared by Dr. Inamori's video, is really embodied in the Inamori Foundation and Dr. Inamori's legacy to align the science, technology, and humanity for a common good. We're really fortunate to have some friends from the Inamori Foundation here today. I'd like to recognize them. Ms. Shinobu Inamori Kanazawa is here, she's the president of the Inamori Foundation. And we also have Senior Managing Executive Director Shioshi Himono. Mr. Himono, Himono-san, thank you. And, and thank you to all the Enamori Foundation delegates and staff who have come all the way from Japan to join us for this special week. We also have friends from Kyocera Corporation International and Kyocera North America, which is headquartered here in San Diego, both entities founded by Dr. Enamori. 
Now, uh, we've, we've heard a lot of fun and interesting stories, I think, sharing, particularly because we missed Dr. Inamori. This is the first year he's not with us as part of these uh, proceedings. But I found it very interesting that at the age of 27, Dr. Inamori founded Kyocera in 1959. Um, and some of us have been listening to the laureates this week, and the one message the laureates continued to talk about is the importance of youth and um, looking at the future. So it just reminded me of Dr. Inamori's legacy. It's someone so young and so visionary uh, starting something that has benefited humanity, not just from the industry side, but also from the philanthropic and, and raising the elevation of arts, humanities, science, and technology. Uh, a year after Kyocera was founded, so was UC San Diego founded. So we share a common uh, tenacity, I think, in being young, scrappy, and hungry institutions. From that time, UC San Diego has risen to one of the top 20 public research universities in the nation. Um, we hope you consider us with regards to your education opportunities, employment opportunities, and also healthcare needs, because we do believe in the importance of people and public service to this region and beyond. Uh, our, two our two individual institutions uh, are really closely aligned because we celebrate the same things with regards to the spirit of the laureates. So this week we've honored uh, three Kyoto Prize laureates, a distinguished engineer, Dr. Carver Mead, a population biologist, Dr. Brian Grenfell, and today we'll be hearing from musician Dr. Zakir Hussein. Um, so if we could just congratulate the three Kyoto Prize recipients, we look forward to hearing more from Dr. Hussein. So today's program would not be possible without many people who have made this week become a reality. I'd like to thank our Kyoto Symposium organization leadership who's here, Kate Leonard and Executive Director Dick Davis. Thank you all in the audience. Thank you so much for your leadership. Um, and we'd also like to hear a little bit more from our own experts here on campus. With that, I'd like to welcome distinguished Italian professor of literature, recipient of the Chancellor's Associate Endowed Chair, and Dean of the Division and School of Arts and Humanities, Christina Della Coletta. Thank you and welcome. I am honored to participate each year in the Kyoto Prize Symposium. Today we are hosting the event here in our amazing Conrad Previs Concert Hall in the UC San Diego Department of Music, a world-class venue in a world-class department. I would like to recognize the chair of the Department of Music, Professor Anthony Burr. I think he is in the audience with us today. The UC San Diego Department of Music was founded in 1966 by two legendary composers who shared a common belief. The most effective educational method brings together the finest faculty members with the most gifted students. And this must be done in a challenging and supportive environment that encourages each student to find their own path. To achieve this vision, the department presents more than 200 events each year. 
Please allow me to express my gratitude to the entire staff who works tirelessly behind the scenes to bring these rich musical experiences to our community. I would like now to introduce Kartik Sesyadri, a long-standing uh, lecturer in the Department uh, of Music, who is a force of his own in the field of uh, Indian classical music. Highly trained, Kartik has been called a sitar maestro, whose music is expressively beautiful and reflective of the rich culture of his youth. As such, Kartik has toured extensively around the world, bringing his expertise and leadership to all who have the privilege to hear him or hear his work, for Kartik is also a distinguished composer. He is not only a a dedicated to the field, but he's also dedicated to welcoming students to his culture through music. I can think of no better person than Kartik to lead today's presentation and discussion. Indeed, this is truly a unique opportunity for all of us, and I am eager, as I'm sure all of you are, to watch, listen, and learn. As a leading public institution in arts and humanities, we recognize the value of our faculty members, like Kartik, and the value they bring to our university, our community, and our school. I thank you all for being part of this event today. Please help me welcome Kartik Seshadri. Good morning, everyone. It's my deep honor and privilege to introduce Ustad Zakir Hussain and to celebrate his achievement of the Kyoto Award 2223. I think most of you are aware of Zakir Bhai's status in the realm of the music world. And to set a backdrop for this, I think we would first like to start with the video presentation, and then we'll see where it goes from there. My name is Zakir Hussain, and I am from India, representing the age-old tradition of North Indian classical music. The way it was played 500 years ago, same way it is being played now, performed now, The difference now is we not only are doing our music, Indian classical music, but we are also learning how to be able to talk our music uh, in as many different musical languages as possible because the world has become small. You need to be able to convey the sounds and music that you're producing, but also to be able to be well-versed in the languages of music that exists all over the world. My father's influence on me is paramount. It's one of the most important influences in my life. And I remember an incident when I was playing a concert with him. He allowed me to perform with him on stage. And then we got off the stage and one of his friends came up to him and said, uh, Maestro, uh, concert was fantastic. You were fantastic. Your son 
He plays exactly like you. That gentleman meant it as a as a compliment. And my father said, "Oh, I hope not. I hope he doesn't play like me." According to him, his own playing, he said, is already done. That's already seen and established. And if he does that, he'll just be a copycat. So he's got to do something of his own. I remember after that initial period when he stopped paying attention to me. For the next three or four years, I was left to work on my own. One day, he came to my school performance. I was. Seven years old, and when we got home, and then he looked at me and said, "Would you like to learn this art seriously?" I immediately said, "Yes, of course. I want to do that seriously." So he said, "Tomorrow we will begin." I went to bed happy that next day we are going to learn, start learning more. At three o'clock in the morning, he woke me up, and we walked to the shrine. Of Magdum, and there was a bench there, right in front of the entrance to the shrine. We sat there, and he started to tell me about the great masters of the old, and he would pick out a particular piece of music that one of those masters has done. To my memory, it's the core of the knowledge that I have received from him. The transmission that I have received from him happened. in front of that shrine and on that bench from the age of 12 onwards i started traveling and playing concerts but over the next 20 years or so i was strictly playing classical music until uh, i arrived in america and there i met some wonderful musicians like uh, mickey hart Joe McLaughlin America was the door that opened my eyes my ears to a whole different way of being able to make music Joe McLaughlin and I finished our first record the Shakti record in those days i'm talking about 1974 75 the term world music or the term fusion music or new age had not yet arrived So uh we didn't know what to do or what to call it it's just music for us if in my mind i'm able to clearly imagine myself as just a percussion player not a tabla player i can play it like a bongo drum like congas in any possible way that is required in that composition of people uh playing for it to mix in without standing out it has to mix in it has to blend and 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 so for me i guess another word for blending is fusion i have not had to just keep doing the same thing but readjust reinvent myself and find new ways to be able to speak tell the same old story that i've heard from my father and and from his teacher and so on
The Kyoto Award for Ustad Zakir Hussain, I feel, is not only an affirmation of his creative genius, but also an affirmation of an ancient age-old tradition of Indian classical music. Zakir Bhai's contributions, broadly speaking, are in two areas. Within tradition, he has expanded the entire canvas of the tabla, adding to the vocabulary of the sounds, the type of uh, presentation in the way the classical tradition works. And within the tra traditional realm, he has also redefined how an accompanist should always enhance the overall uh, performance that is happening in any, on any given evening or morning. And outside of tradition, Zakir Bai's work has tapped every major genre of music. He is a profound influence. He has collaborated with the, the greatest and some of the greatest artists, ranging from Yo-Yo Ma to Kronos Quartet, his Tabla Concerto recently, uh, which was premiered, his uh, works with various musicians across genre, jazz, uh, the list goes on and on. I think you know I can spend another half an hour talking about him. So, without further ado, let's welcome Ustad Zakir Hussain to the stage. Good morning. <laughs> Good morning to you all. Thank you all very much for being here so early in the morning. I hope you all had your cappuccinos and donuts, you know, with this much sugar. <laughs> and uh, I picked up the mic, but I'm not the one who's going to moderate. Uh, I will ask Karthik Ji to uh, begin. It's been more than 30 years that we shared a stage together. Uh, when I was playing with his master, his teacher, his guru, Pandit Ravi Shankarji, and Karthik Bhai was on stage assisting on the sitar. And uh, so it's been a while, but I'm glad that we are still here together. So would you like to pick up the mic and start the proceedings? I'm fine, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm very honored to be here. And uh, I have to first tell you all that the Kyoto is the ultimate culmination, but Zakir Bhai has been um, bagging awards now very recently since October 2022. Congratulations, first of all. The, the first award uh, coming from uh, Oman, the Aga Khan Foundation. Uh, the Kyoto Award, obviously, which is why we are all here today. And, of course, he was also very recently the recipient of the Padma Vibhushan, which is India's highest uh, mark of respect to, uh, to Anana artists and people of different disciplines. So please. <laughs> So 
So, the video was absolutely beautiful. Thank you. And uh, a few things which I think everyone would be interested in knowing is you talk about the core knowledge that you received, which obviously we mean tradition. And given that our music is constantly uh, reinventing itself and has an extraordinary potential for constant innovation in the way artists are going about it, and your contributions being colossal, uh, I would want to know from you, uh, do you feel that the traditional part of Indian classical music is something that should always be watered. Uh, I mean, uh, the roots should be watered so that you can not only expand within tradition, but also be able to reach out and not only give, but also receive. So it gives, perhaps, uh, so I would like to hear you. Uh, Tevier in Fiddler on the Roof realized much later that tradition grounded and anchored into must at some point evolve and change and move forward. So tradition depends on that. I mean, a pebble dropped in the water and the ripple effect that goes forward. Uh, tradition has to be that ripple effect. Uh, just as a line is a continuation of a point. Similarly, a tradition is a continuation of the roots or the fountainhead that it represents. But it does not just represent that. Tradition becomes valid and has substance when it moves through time, years and years of time, decades of time, and still appears to be valid for whatever time it's in. And that, uh, to me, is very important. Uh, uh, when I said about my father, he said something like, well, I hope he doesn't play like me. And I hope he does something different, something that represents him, has his stamp, my stamp, on, on the story that I have to tell. That meant that I was supposed to take this flower and petal by petal, open it, unveil it, look into it, and hopefully take that pollen that exists in there and bring it out so that and then find a way to be able to make it exist in the time that I am in not the time that my father or his gurus were in and so Tradition is an ever-evolving, ever-changing, ever-adopting or adapting uh, uh, device that uh, allows us to be able to, in some ways, claim lineage to 
a time that is dear to us, a time that is special for us, a time that is of reverence to us, but at the same time, it tells us to be able to uh, use our ability, our vision, our innovation to be able to uh, make it so that it appears new every time. It appears fresh every time. And especially Indian music tradition because it relies so much on spontaneity. It relies so much on improv. And it's an interesting loophole or it's an interesting how should I say uh, contradiction. Uh, Because the old maestros have said, stick with the tradition. Do exactly what the tradition says. But at the same time, improvise, create, do something new, something fresh. Now, in order to do that, you must imbibe, you must emulate, you must find, I must find a way to be able to speak in the language of the African Jembe or in the language of uh, a taiko drum or a language of the Latin percussion instruments. If I can do that, I can say what I have to say on my tabla, but with that translation built into it so that it makes language sense to others uh, that represent other tradition, then uh, the tradition has been paid homage to or has been used the way it should. So tradition does not mean stick to tried and true, stick to what's old and just do that. It means take a leap of faith without the parachute and uh, flail your way to a place where you suddenly find that you can fly. That you suddenly find that after falling flat on your face 150,000 times, that that one little flight that you took was worth it. And, And so... That's, I think, what I have to say about tradition, because tradi- uh, and and so in 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 a nutshell, tradition is ancient, but tradition also is also modern. Tradition belongs to yesterday, but tradition also belongs to today and tomorrow. So, uh, uh, when it comes to Indian classical music, it's an ever evolving thing. Uh, your guru, Pandit Ravi Shankarji. He did not play anything like his guru. Ustad Alauddin Khan Sahib. He found his own way to speak the music. Ali Ustad Ali Akbar Khan Sahib also did not play anything like his guru. My father, Ustad Allah Rakha, did not play anything like his guru. And eventually, after many years of aping 
and emulating my dad to the T, my father to the T, I found myself in some ways detaching from it and playing the way I wanted to play. Uh, there were criticisms, obviously. Why, isn't, why aren't you playing your, like your father? Why aren't you playing the material or the repertoire that is from your father? These questions were asked, but that was only because the connoisseurs were afraid that something that they were so dearly attached to is evolving. And because of that, they may not be valid anymore. And to keep that in mind is, is a wrong thing, but to be a connoisseur in a way where you say, ah, this is something different, this is something new, but like the line, which is a continuation of a point and therefore is attached eternally to the point, tradition is attached to its roots, its fountain, but like a line, moves forward, adopting itself to the ways of the world as it evolves. Thank you for that. The reason I asked the question is uh, there is a general sort of idea that tradition is something that is calcified. It is stuck in its time. Mm. And we have these conversations in departments, in our music seminars. And, and so it is almost, uh, there is almost a trend to say we want to be doing something so new that uh, I'm probably saying this a little bit more severely than I need to, but uh, that we need to do something that has never been done before. And I have, like you, questioned that idea because the, the, the tradition is not a static phenomenon. It's not just stuck at its time, mm -hmm. especially in the case of our music, yeah. where it's always moving, right? Yeah. And there's a great example of that. It's, it's you. Uh, you have not only retained tradition, but you have expanded the canvas and the vocabulary of the tabla to such an extraordinary extent. And obviously that speaks to you not only creating within tradition, but also being able to take from other traditions and adapt it to the current times. But, you know, to do something new, something that has never been done before, it's, in my mind, an impossibility. Everything has been done. Every rhythm pattern has been played. Every groove has been danced to. Every melodic idea has been explored. There's nothing new out there. Since the beginning of time, when you talk about the Bible, or the Torah, or the Quran, or Gita, they have all said the same thing. Love thy neighbor, live in peace and harmony. Simple things. And similarly, in the world of music, it's all been said and done before. All the harmonies, all the counterpoints, all the canons, were explored by a composer 500 years ago, and another composer 250 years ago, and so on and so forth. 
All you can do is tell the story in your own words. And when you tell the story in your own words, you bring it into the present. And when you bring it into the present, you make it appear to be new and fresh by default. It becomes new and fresh. It's simply because the words that you are speaking resonates with the people who are listening to you. That is why you see great sages, swamis, sadhus, so many priests or anything, who are embraced, who are loved and revered over time and time and time and time. Not every one of them, but just some of them. And that's simply because they were able to speak and tell that same story in a way that made sense to the world today and to the ears today. And uh, so nothing new to say, nothing new to do, uh, but hopefully being able to tell it in your own simple way is uh, the freshness that one looks for. I so agree with you. And I think our tradition puts as such an, an Indian music tradition? As an Indian music tradition. Puts okay. such an emphasis on that, right? I mean, uh, where we have to, on the one hand, stay within, but also be that creative person who can do something new within tradition, which perhaps has been done before, like you said. But now we also live in a global sort of a time when the world is smaller, and we are taking in new influences in a way that perhaps didn't happen uh, 200 years ago or maybe even you know, 100, 100 years ago. Mm-hmm. And now we have technologies that enable so much, uh, you know, possib- uh, enables uh, enormous possibilities of integration and which you have been a great exemplary of uh, in your own uh, furthering of uh, the tabla within tradition and outside of tradition. And you keep both which is amazing, uh, in, in a, in a yeah, well, creative like, like space I said, all the time. You know, I have to speak my tabla in as many rhythm languages as possible. I remember once I was sitting in a Trident studio in London, Soho district, uh, with uh, you know, an upcoming new musician known as George Harrison. <laughs> <laughs> And we were having yogurts and nuts and honey um, for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Uh, and I, I was put there as an assistant to George by your guru, Pandit Ravi Shankarji, because uh, George was editing a live concert recording of Ravi Shankarji with Ali Akbar Khan Sahib and my father and, uh, for Apple Records. And um, so I was put there to make sure that the, the cut that is being done is and spliced together is done right and in correctly and the notes go well and the sum is in the right place and so on and so forth. So I was there and uh, in, the, in one of the lulls of the recording time uh, in the middle of our yogurt and nuts and honey, um, I asked George, and I said, look, you're a you know, fine sitar player. 
I mean, you've been learning, you play sitar with your guru and everything. Why don't you play sitar more often? And George said, uh, I don't want to insult that which has been taught to me by my teacher by playing poor sitar, poor sitar. I can, however, take that information and transpose it onto my instrument, the guitar, which I have some control over, and offer my reverence and my homage to that tradition through my instrument. And uh, that was an interesting thought. I had not imagined that it would be possible for me to take the language of the jazz drums or the jambe or congas or, or timbales or anything and be able to transpose all that information onto my instrument, the tabla. So this was an interesting thought. Yes. And so, but it didn't just end there. Uh, so while we were conversing, I said, uh, George, I'd like to be a drummer. I'd like to play, I would like to be a rock drummer. I mean, I was a young man, I wanted to wear blingy outfits and, you know, high heel shoes and get up, you know, bang the drums and, you know, have people screaming and shouting at every move I make. I mean, that's what I thought. And, uh, and George, no, George said something interesting that kind of made me take that turn. And that was that, uh, listen, Zakir, uh, there are 500-odd drummers at my beck and call, one better than the other, ready to come in any time I want them and play. You, do, why do you want to be 501? He said, you're here with me because you have something special to offer. You're here with me because you have this unique ability to be able to take your instrument, the tabla, and, and make it talk the language of the present. Why not take all that information that's out there, the drums, the basses, the guitars, the uh, tumbas and uh, congas and everything, and put it onto your instrument, transpose it, just like I'm doing the sitar and guitar onto the guitar and make your tabla speak in a universal language of rhythm. It was an interesting thought, a, a very interesting window opening to look at my instrument with fresh ideas and fresh thoughts. And fortunately, the tabla is such an instrument that can adapt, that can allow that transposing to take place because of the technique. It can be a conga drum, it can be a bonga drum, it can be anything that it wants to be because of the technique. So um, it made total sense, and uh, from there on, the idea of me being a rock and roll drummer was out the window, but the idea of me trying to elevate tabla as a world instrument, just like the guitar was, or the, or the piano is, or then eventually the sitar became because of Ravi Shankarji. And I feel that it's gotten to a point where tabla is also now accepted as, an, as a world instrument, a percussion instrument that people you know, don't look at and say, oh, this is an exotic drum from somewhere else. Mm -hmm. It's more like, oh, it's a regular drum. It has arrived, it's part of 
the 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 drum uh, world as the as globally known and so having come from that obscurity mm-hmm. where it was you know a second hand instrument in india sitting in the back of the orchestra and playing or sitting on the side of the main artist and playing and not even being announced or name being mentioned it had now become a principal instrument a solo instrument and it it's all because of little encounter in that soho studio the trident studio way back when and uh, i have to say that bringing that forward into that way and making the music valid is what i'm talking about when i say tradition yesterday must be valid today and must definitely be valid tomorrow mm-hmm. and and in order for it to do that it must wear different hats absolutely <laughs> so now going from apple the studios to the mac uh, the computer world uh, we have <laughs> so we have a tremendous connection to the globe and uh, how i i feel i just want to touch upon a point that you you just made i think you know there's also this general idea that uh, it, which gets floated around music is universal you see this cliche happen all the time and i have sort of doubted that i think it is the duty of the artist to make it universal it's not innately universal because i've played opera to you know friends and they are they don't understand what's going on and they're puzzled by it actually and in a similar way i have taken hindustani you know vocal music to someone who's never heard it and they think somebody's clearing their throat so there are all kinds of things uh, you know we we uh, encounter in the musical world where we realize music is actually in the simplistic sense not universal but it is the artist who has to bring that universality to it absolutely and in that sense uh, going from apple to mac technology has been a very important facet now even in the last i think 20 to 30 years we are in a completely different space in terms of how we can interact globally or you know have information disseminated or how we can listen to things or you know so many things that are going on and the innovations that you have brought are so Uh, fantastic it's not all my fault <laughs> you are you're hugely responsible for it <laughs> so uh in terms of those integrations what what do you think is that aspect of your creativity which makes that music that 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 we witness universal In, in other words everybody is able to come to a concert this was the same thing with my mentor pandit ravi shankar ji when he performed somehow people could tune in that there's something something larger going on here and they could then go from the alap which is very sublime to 
mm -hmm. sectional development, and then everything it bursts into like a rock concert almost. And in that sense, you, with the tabla, you, you're a phenomenon in the sense you've added an, an extraordinary battery of sounds, which you incorporate also into our tradition. And I, I, I'm going to say this, uh, that is, I think there isn't a, a single tabla player, uh, very honestly, who doesn't emulate some part of who Ustad Zakir Hussain is. I'll Never heard a statement of him. very... <laughs> but, like I said earlier, um, it's being able to speak the words that resonate today. Uh, I'm not the best tabla player in the world. I most certainly am not. It's, it's well, that's some, a no, no, it's a fact. I'm telling <laughs> you, no, it really is a fact. Because, no, you have to understand that Yo-Yo Ma is a great cellist. But he's a marquee name. That doesn't mean that there aren't any other cellists who are just as great. There are. There are very f fabulous, amazing cello players, uh, amazing piano players, uh, who are just as good as Lang Lang or something or whatever. But the f they don't necessarily get a regular exposure as a marquee name. And when that happens, uh, the one who gets that exposure by default becomes number one or the best. The world is obsessed with who's number one. I mean, I remember once I was going through immigration in San Francisco with my wife, who's a fabulous Kathak, Indian classical Kathak dancer sitting right here, Antonia. And, um, you know, my look, my name, my passport, I was pulled to the side. And, uh, and she was told to carry on. And, and she said, no, I'm staying with my husband. And uh, so we went in, and then after a while I was called to the booth, and questioning began, et cetera, et cetera. So what do you do, da -da, da -da, and so on. Do you know Ravi Shankar? <laughs> I said, yes, I do. Yeah, he's a, he plays, what does he play? Oh, he plays sitar, okay. C sitar. All right, okay. After Ravi Shankar, who's number two Indian musician in the world, number two? He's upset with number two or something. And my wife says, it's him, Google him. <laughs> so we are all obsessed with number one and two. I have to tell you there are at least 10 or 15 tabla players who are just as good as me and better on their, on their day. And, and uh, just because I'm the one on the poster, I'm the one who did television ads and, and played with John Glocklin and hung out with George Harrison and so on and so forth, I get the publicity, I get the visibility. But Pandit Swapan Chaudhary, one of the great tabla players of our time, or Pandit Anindu Chatterjee, or Pandit Kumar Bose, 
Shubankar Banerjee, an amazing tabla player who just recently passed away due to COVID. Um, So many other great tabla players, Yogesh Samshi. My brother also is a fine tabla player, Fazal Qureshi. And Satyajit Talwalkar and and uh, Ojas Adia and and so many others who are amazing tabla players, incredible on their day. There are some very fine women tabla players, you know. Uh, Rimpa is one of them. Yes. Anuradha is another one. And 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 so to just think that one person makes the tradition, that one person makes the music popular that one person makes the music valid or evolving is not true. It takes a whole line of us. It's having that bench strength that's needed. You know, the starting five are okay, but if the next five don't come out and and defend properly, uh, you know, then you'll end up being warriors who lose away from home. So so anyway... uh, it is important to realize that. I mean, Pandit Ravi Shankarji was an amazing sitar player, an incredible innovator, and, and the face of Indian classical music. But equally great was Ustad Vilayat Khan, the sitar player, or uh, Ustad Halim Jafar Khan, uh, another sitar player, Pandit Nikhil Banerjee. And, you know, and, and on their day, someone like Ustad Rais Khan Sahib were all very fantastic sitar players. But we all know Pandit Ravi Shankar. Every time I said to somebody, what do you do? I play Indian music. Oh, Ravi Shankar. That was fine. But nobody knew Vilayat Khan. So that difference exists. So that's what I'm trying to say. I'm not the best tabla player. I'm one of the good ones. (laughs) I've got to, you know, I've got to take that in. But it takes more than just me to make the tradition stand on its own and be valid in the present. I cannot be everywhere playing tabla simultaneously in 15 time zones. There have to be others just as good picking up the slack and going out there and performing and and making the tabla universally recognized. And, And so this is teamwork. It is, you know, a unit that works together to make things happen. Ravi Shankarji brought sitar to the West, but it, it stayed and it elevated further and further because Nikhil Banerjee came here, because Usad Vilayat Khan Sab came here. They all performed. And, and the world saw that, ah, this is not just a one-time phenomena. It exists in, 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 a, in long term. And so that is what tradition is, to be able to take it forward, to move forward. It's something that Inamuri Foundation does. It takes things that mean something, that are important to us, that make a difference in our lives, and moves it forward. And that moving forward of 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 that which exists inside of our core and means a lot to us and, and, and will be instrumental in making our lives better, making our future bright, making things positive. I mean, there's nothing more positive than art in the world. It's the most positive energy that exists. And, and, and the 
the more it is recognized as a multifaceted unit with many, many representatives of each art form, the better it has the chance of surviving, nurturing, propagating, moving forward. So the part where you say uh, you're not the best or there are many others like you, well, I think you make a decent enough case, but I'm not entirely convinced about that. So We could, talk, I, we could sit here and talk forever until yeah, the right. cows yeah. come home. Yeah, but I think, I, I think one thing I can hold you very uh, specifically accountable for is uh, you have made the tabla not just an instrument of percussion, and it's beyond that you have also made it an instrument of melody. It's not just purely there for being, uh, for the, there for rhythm. It, 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 it does other things. And before, you know, I think there are people dying to hear you uh, obviously have a well, little demonstration. Tabla is, as I said, a versatile instrument. It has the ability to transpose all rhythmic genres onto its own self. And one of the interesting thing about tabla is that it's not only got rhythm, but it's got melody, it's got harmonics, as you said. And that allows it to be able to exist in both worlds. It allows it to be an accompanying instrument or a rhythm instrument for a melodic concert with not only the timekeeping, but also harmonic support. And, and, and so in that sense, it becomes an instrument that is, you know, more in the music That's right. that is taking place and, and, and not just in the back somewhere. We should find so that So in that vein, I think, yeah. uh, can we please uh, have yeah, yeah, your okay. participation? Okay. Thank you. I'd like to invite uh, for my, you know, to help me perform a little bit. Uh, this instrument here is a very ancient instrument called sarangi. It has existed in India for at least a thousand years, if not more, and uh, pretty much in the same shape and same size. And uh, I have a young maestro who I will call on stage. I just want to say that I played for almost 30 years with his father. And his father was a great sarangi maestro known as Sultan Khan. And uh, so please welcome son of Sultan Khan, the young maestro Sabir Khan. One of the important thing that remains with us of, if the, of this Indian classical tradition is the reverence to its roots. And that is why you saw that I was not wearing shoes on the stage. Uh, I was not bringing any outside energy onto the stage in that manner. This, for us, 
once the instruments are there and becomes a sacred spot. In India, we believe that Indian classical music is a boon given to us by the gods and goddesses that exist. Those are not the gods and goddesses. <laughs> but uh, what is interesting about the music is that as it evolved in the last 5,000 years, it was about eight or 900 years that it went through a very major change. And that was because a confluence occurred between a way of life of the temples of India and the way of life of the Sufis that represented the Islamic culture. The Sufi saints and the Hindu priests came together with an understanding that it is possible for the art to coexist. They both had musical ideas that had similar roots. So they combined the music together and around eight, nine hundred years ago, it went through this major change and before that 900-year period, it was known as Dhrupad or Prabandh Gaiki or Haveli Sangeet. But after it became known as Khayal, which actually is an Arabic or Urdu or Persian word, which means imagination. And, and I guess the reason to put that name to that form uh, was simply because it relied on improvising, on being spontaneously creative. So khayal emerged at that time. And the North Indian classical music that you hear when Pandit Ravi Shankar played or Ustad Ali Akbar Khan Sahib or Pandit Shiv Kumar Sharma or Ustad Amjad Ali Khan and so on played with the tabla, the music that you hear is khayal, that is the newer form, a secular form of music. So in that sense, it evolved. But somewhere around 150 or 200 years ago, another instrument was added to the mix. And that instrument was tabla. Tabla is a very young Indian classical instrument. It's only about 250 odd years old and it only came into its own as an instrument of choice when it came to accompanying vocal or dance or instrumental music about 150-200 odd years ago. And so, but the repertoire it represents has existed for over 2,000 years. So, as I said, this instrument has the ability to transpose anything as far as rhythms are concerned. Tabla took the repertoire that existed before and found a way to be able to absorb that information and a technique developed to be able to play this instrument. So, 
as I was saying earlier, this is an instrument that has melodic and harmonic content. And there are a couple of things that we need to do uh, in order to prepare for it. One of the things is we use Maxwell's silver hammer. <laughs> it actually is. To tune this instrument, I will demonstrate. And the other one is an age-old family concoction uh, that we put on our hands. And that's called, uh, irreverently nowadays, Johnson's baby powder. Everybody do this. <laughs> so, tuning is done to the melody instrument. So right now, the sa or the tonic is sa. Sa. So it's tuned to that note. It's a very, that's the beginning point. Now, if I wanted to not be in tune to that note, I want it to be maybe a little flat. So I will take this hammer. The pitch comes down. I will go back. So it's all in the wrist. <laughs> so therefore, there is a tone, a melody that ties us together. And on the bass drum, close your ears. Octave down, right? So, so I'm available as a bass player for a band <laughs> if needed, right? So So it's possible to play melodies on this instrument, but it's impossible to do it when the mic is off. <laughs> when the microphone is on and Mujib Dadarkar, my sound maestro, is sitting on it, he can coax that sound and push it out enough so the, so the resonance hopefully comes through and I'm able to play these melodic tones uh, because I don't have to stress so hard. So. 
you could do all that. Yeah, or you could be a rock and roll star, you know. So you can slide tones, uh, you can bend tones, or you can go. It's an expressive thing. Uh, if I wanted to say, where have you been? Where have you been? Just around the corner. So it's an expressive instrument that sp speaks the language. So when we are playing and improvising, we are thinking about it as English or Hindi or Urdu or something and trying to create sentences is like I am your friend or I am your friend, I am your friend, I am your friend. So I am your friend. Dati dagatina gena. Dati dagatina gena. Dati dagatina gena. Dati dagatina gena. So there's many ways of doing it. And so we language wise uh, try to put that same expressive element into playing. So uh, that is very important. Rhythm, repertoire. I'm just trying to rush through it. Uh, the repertoire has exist existed for a long time. There are rhythm cycles that we all know about. In the West, you have 4-4. Four, four. Uh, rock, rock beat, 1, 2, 3, 4, or 1, 1, 2, 3, 4, or just 3, or just 5s. Uh, you know, fives, you know that, right? Right? You know that? That's Mission Impossible, but it's in five beats. So, so it's there. So there are many different uh, rhythm cycles. In India, we have 360 different rhythm cycles. <laughs> I don't know most of them. Uh, they say it takes many lifetimes to learn it. So I decided, forget it, let's just play a few. Uh, but uh, uh, the shortest rhythm cycle is four beats long, and the longest rhythm cycle is 108 beats long. So you can imagine that you just play one cycle if you're playing a 108-beat cycle piece. Uh, uh, but the more commonly used rhythm cycles are seven, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. These are commonly known rhythm cycles. But the most common rhythm cycle in which most of the repertoire for the tabla was, was composed or written over the years is in a rhythm cycle known as Tintal, 16-beat rhythm cycle, which has four groups of four, and then we improvise on it. Each rhythm cycle is given its own special rhythm melody, which we all have to know. So he has to know it, I have to know it, any instrumentalist that I play with, or vocalist I play with, or dancer I play with, they all have to know it, because that's our starting point. A melodic raga is chosen, a rhythm cycle is chosen, the concert begins. So uh, 
that's it. Half the time, musicians don't even really know what they're going to do until they get on stage. Actually, more than half the time. <laughs> so, Tintal, um, which is 16 beats, has a melody. Uh, four groups of four. So, the first four is Dha, Din, Din, Na. Dha, Din, Din, Na. Dha, Din, Din, Na. And then, a little embellishment of the same phrase. Dhage din kridhin din na. Din kridhin din na. And then 9, 10, 11, 12 will be Dhage din kridhin din na. Din kridhin din na. Then 13, 14, 15, 16 will be Terekit din kridhin din na. Then Terekit din kridhin din na. So just the way I say it, I play it. Dati dagate nagena. Gena daga de nagena. Ge dagena daga. Geta dagena daga. Tirgat dagena daga. So these are, this is a language that we communicate in. I mean, any tabla player or rhythm player from India sitting there, I can shout maybe a phrase out to him or her, and they'll respond with the next phrase. Uh, मैं एक फ्रेज बोलता हूं आप उसका जवाब दीजिए दृढ़गृहता कथा के के दिन नगदैत्य टिकेंतरान दृढ़गृहता दृढ़गृहता सो वी कम्युनिकेटिंग सिमिलरली इफ आई वाज टू दैट्स Mr. Navin Sharma, he's one of the musicians who's performing with me tomorrow. And uh, I could do the same thing uh, in a four-board thing. So... Mr. Tupac Mantia, who's also playing with me tomorrow. Kesariya Balam Sula Sula Africa Sula Sula Africa
that, uh, friends, is master of the djembe and the balafon and, of course, singing, Melissa Ye from Burkina Faso. Those three plus V2 are playing tomorrow night at Balboa Theater, of course. So, but this wasn't rehearsed. They didn't bring any instruments. They were just sitting there, so I said, let's put them on the spot. <laughs> so there it is. Thank you. So the way the tabla repertoire performance goes, uh, it requires a little melodic bass line support. So that thankless job is given to the sarangi, the instrument. Because, I call it thankless because it's the same melody that has to keep repeating over and over again. It's like playing, um, you know, a walking bass part and, and just playing those two chords or three chords over and over again for the next 25 minutes, <laughs> which is a short performance. Uh, a tabla repertoire performance in India can go for two hours, two and a half hours, nonstop. And, uh, you know, uh, the listeners, the connoisseurs who sit and listen to the concert at the end of it may want more. So that does happen. So what Sabir Bhai does is he opens up the melodic element and then he starts that bass line, which is known as lehra. Lehra, batayya. keeps repeating. The one is the same note. So that's the connection. So he begins with what we call alap, which is just the melodic introduction of the mode that he's playing, which is also known as raga. And then he brings in the, the bass line and then I play. But before we do any of that, we play a very ancient Indian classical piece called Tuning. <laughs> tuning is a very important and essential part of Indian classical music. It happens before, during, and out of habit, even after the concert. Before we do that, I just wanted to kind of support what I said about transposing. So this is a muscular tradition. So uh, there's not a lot of banging or playing hard, a la djembe or congas. There's a more piano-like 
finger movements that are utilized. So like. just finger oriented tradition i can imitate latin rhythms so the clave which is a famous everything is based on it so the clave is like So that's basically a Latin percussion instrument. So when you're talking about tradition and then moving forward, uh, that's what tabla has done. It has gone from being, it's gone from there to, so it's become, this is not tabla repertoire. This is craziness. <laughs> so uh, it's changed, it's moved on, but it allows, the technique allows for this to happen. And so that's why uh, it's such a versatile instrument, and that's why I feel that it has arrived as, as a rhythm instrument of the world, uh, not just India. So we will begin this thing with a little alap.
13, 14, 15.
Thank you very much, Sabir Khan. incredible performance. It's so amazing to have a guru, a maestro, who who's able to share the artistry with us. Thank you so much for joining us with Dr. Hussein. I'd also like to recognize Dr. Mead, Dr. Grenfell, the Anamori Foundation, and the Kyoto Prize Symposium for helping to make this possible. But thank you so much for coming, and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you for coming to the symposium. been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.com.